Hello, and welcome to the 12th episode of the Military Medicine Podcast, guest edited this week by me, Harry Clero. Today, we have a special guest, the new Director General of Defence Medical Services, Peter Homer. Um, thanks for joining us, Director General. Uh, we opened up this interview to members of the DMS and beyond via social media to allow them to ask you some personal questions to them. We received over 40 responses and many thanks to all those that contributed. We've picked a selection of the best and they'll be posed throughout this episode. First up though, we kick off the podcast with five quickfire questions that you're only allowed to answer with a single word or phrase if that's okay. Are you ready? Yes. Brilliant. So first up from Lieutenant Colonel Sue Pope, if you were a few years younger, would you join the DMS in uniform? And if so, which service? Yes, Air Force. Great choice, if I do say so myself, <laughs> Peter. Uh, from a, a Lance Corporal nurse, what's your favourite tipple? Sancerre. Mm-hmm. Who is it easier to work with, the NHS or the DMS? Both. Okay. What's your favourite quote or mantra? We live life forwards, we understand it backwards. And from Captain Heron... How do you de-stress with such a demanding job? Cycling. Well, Director General Peter, thank you very much for joining us. First of all, how should we in the DMS refer to you? Would you like Director General Peter Homer? I'd be pleased if you uh, addressed me as Peter. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Peter. So, first up, can you briefly describe your career pathway so far? So, we're particularly interesting to hear because you've obviously had an interesting route through. Um... I've been very fortunate with my career uh, in that um, I've gained a huge amount of very varied experience. Mm. Um, and it's, uh, it's included um, working in my first role in the NHS as firstly a general, then an operating department porter uh, for several months in St. James Hospital, um, Balham, South London. And I learned more about management in that several month period than on any subsequent management or leadership course that I went on. And what it taught me was that whatever our role, we can make a difference for patients, their loved ones and staff. Mm-hmm. And I was also on the receiving end of some fantastic uh, management and leadership behaviours um, from clinical and non-clinical staff. I was also on the receiving end of the reverse and that, um, as often formative experience um, teaches us, um, has kept with me. And I, um, I reflected at the tender age of 22 as I was then, um, if, if ever I was in a position <coughs> of responsibility, then I would want to leave exchanges with my colleagues, uh, with, um, with my colleagues feeling like they had more energy rather than less. Um, so that was my first introduction to healthcare. Um, uh, I then um, did a, a poor man's grand tour with uh, with my then girlfriend, um, and we travelled around Asia for uh, nearly a year on five dollars a day. There's a Lonely Planet book called Asia on Five Dollars a Day, and we did that complete with bed bugs and all sorts of uh, stuff, dysentery and uh, Guardia and all the rest of it. And I grew up doing that. And it made me realise um, how lucky um, I and uh, we uh, were in being brought up in the country that we were. 
There's a particular episode which actually in preparing for this I was thinking about. Uh, my girlfriend and I are walking up a particularly steep climb, um, well-equipped, great boots, cold weather gear, um, in Nepal uh, towards uh, Muktinath um, near uh, the border of uh, Mustang, or with Mustang. And uh, there was, a, I assume, a husband and wife coming down the same track. It's a really rough track bare feet and the husband gesticulated to me and I understood I uh, imagine from what he was uh, gesticulating because neither of us could speak the same language uh, that he was um, frustrated and angry that his wife didn't have the same equipment that my wife did and and I often reflect on that and so the most recent was in preparation for our discussion so I, I uh, had the good fortune of doing some travelling and 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 learnt more about myself as one does, as you know, through adversity. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were some fairly hairy moments, and it included the time when we were in Nepal, in the middle of nowhere, uh, when um, the Russians had invaded Afghanistan, and it's from where we were, which was without radio, but we kept getting messages as one does from other travellers. It felt like World War Three was about to kick off. It was uh, quite extraordinary. So I've returned to this country um, um, enriched and um, much lighter <laughs> through dysentery and various <laughs> other uh, other bugs. Um, and I was then self-employed as a, uh, um, a non-HGV driver, ag- agency driver, picture framer and painter and decorator uh, in order that I could then fit around rock climbing. Um, so I used to do quite a lot of that in those days. And then I did that for a couple of years realising that I could afford a girlfriend, a car, or a stereo, but not all three simultaneously, and <laughs> I needed to get a, a proper job. And I then uh, uh, decided to apply for graduate management training schemes. I'd qualified uh, with a first degree in economics uh, from Sussex University. Long story short, I uh, applied for a range of different schemes, um, uh, including banking and um, the NHS uh, management training scheme. Fortunately for banking, I didn't pursue that. Um, um, fortunately for me, I did pursue the graduate management training scheme for the NHS and have had the most wonderful set of experiences, um, most recently, of course, with the privilege of um, serving Defence Medical Services. Um, and I, in terms of my NHS um, experience, um, I, I found myself um, being appointed uh, to the Deputy Chief Exec, or General Manager, as they're called in those days, at Leicester Royal Infirmary, which in those days was one of the largest provincial teaching hospitals um, in the country. Uh, I was age 32. I was appointed the deputy within a few months when my boss got sacked. And I found myself um, at that tender age um, having to act into my boss's role. And I confess, um, I was frightened. I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, and uh, in retrospect, recognise I suffered all the symptoms of stress. Uh, and I, I learned from that experience. So I'm very empathetic for those who find themselves in positions of authority for the first time no matter how well their preparation um, that includes doctors nurses managers um, head porters uh, all those that have uh, leadership experience and responsibility for the first time uh, and i then stayed um, long story short I, I applied for the job in leicester and firm i stayed there 10 years and it's a great job um, we did some interesting work there I was then uh, appointed to, in a non-political capacity, head up a, a task force to achieve the uh, then 
um, Labour Party's um, they've just been elected when Tony Blair was elected um, to achieve a significant reduction in waiting lists across the NHS mm-hmm. and with colleagues my contribution was modest but with other colleagues um, that was accomplished I was then the Chief Exec of the Commission of Health Improvement which um, is the precursor to the Care Quality Commission there for four years then Chief Exec St George's and then I was appointed to um, to, to to be the chief exec of Nottingham University Hospitals to help with the merger of Queen's Medical Centre and Nottingham City Hospital. Mm. I was there for 12 years, a fabulous job, and then left to become chairman of the NHS Leadership Academy and then was appointed uh, after 18 months to take my present um, um, role, which, uh, as you know, is um, in effect the chief exec of the Defence Medical um, Services, which uh, is, um, is a huge, huge privilege. Just to get a bit of background on yourself, we've got a, a nurse who would like to remain anonymous. Have asked, um, what do you do in your spare time? Um, a number of things. I'm the family cook, so I enjoy cooking. Um, we have a son and daughter, and um, one of life's joys is when one's um, children become one's friends. And they're 31 and 29 now, so they're. Uh, uh, they they uh, have found their own path in life, but it's always a joyful occasion when, as a family, we're we're together. So that's what I particularly enjoy. It doesn't have that often. Mm. Trying to combine diaries, um, I um, I really enjoy as does my wife um, um, being with family and friends uh, and cycling. And I used to do quite a lot of running, but I've knackered my knees, um, so <laughs> I, I've transitioned to to cycling uh, uh, and uh, and greatly enjoy long distance um, events. We expect you see lycrid up around the Staffordshire countryside. Or... Um, yes, but um, I try not to appear too much of a mammal, um, uh, a middle-aged man in lycra. Uh, but uh, I, I, I live it. Well, we live in Leicestershire, and um, uh, when uh, when the days are longer, I will be cycling in. Fantastic. And finally, from um, Captain Heller asks, what are your New Year's resolutions? Um, they um, comprise. I'm maintaining my uh, um, cycling training program. I've got. A, I started in May last year, um, and it's um, I, my son and, uh, and wife gave me a uh, an online coach for cycling, um, and I'm obsessive with data. So I've got a whole series of um, of what outputs that I need to achieve, and and so on. Yeah. So that, that's uh, that's in place. Um, dry January. Uh, we're on the 20th of January now and I'm still going good um, <laughs> uh, there was touch and go on Saturday evening I can tell you uh, um, and um, I've started um, again a Christmas gift uh, from my wife Deb um, a photography course uh, an online photography course I think one of the, uh, the great pleasures when one gets a bit older is, is not stuff but is, um, is opportunity to learn new things so what, um, what would be a typical Sunday afternoon for you? So. Uh, a combination um, of um, a long bike ride yeah. uh, with my mates, punctuated by tea and cake, and then returning home with my tail between my legs, um, anxiously looking at my wife, Deb, uh, to make sure I can tick off the domestic tasks that I <laughs> that were generously uh, assigned uh, for the afternoon. Uh, and then um, uh, a little later in the, um, the early evening, um, doing one of my favourite um, things, and that is uh, cooking the family meal. I'm the family cook, and uh, it's my form of, uh, along with cycling, um, uh, therapy. What's your specialty? What's your best recipe? Um, 
I think uh, it's a very um, straightforward um, a rack of lamb with a, um, a pasty and mustard um, crust which you're very welcome to enjoy <laughs> at a time of your choosing. Oh, thank goodness we've got this down. <laughs> I'm glad we had this rolling. Brilliant. Um, these two questions may be interlinked. So, yeah, what would you say is the proudest moment of your career and, and what do you think is the key determinant of success in your career? It's difficult to select one moment, um, but I think the... The moment I most treasure was when, uh, with my mum, who's now no longer with us, and uh, two children, I um, went to Buckingham Palace to receive a CBE. Mm. Um, and I am just so grateful that my mum was there to see it. Um, so that would be, I think, my submission for my proudest moment. And in terms of the key determinant for success, um, I think it's um, a combination of a real connection with the purpose of what one's doing. Mm. Passion, energy, respect and humility and treating others as one would be wished to, uh, to be treated. And understanding... Um, that often in um, in life it's a process, not an event. And that sometimes when one faces a, a challenge, um, it may seem to be the the end of a particular um, phase of one's life, but actually it's probably a springboard to a, a brighter future. And there's a fabulous um, podcast series, uh, How to Fail, with a book that's by the same title. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's a wonderful collection of case studies of often very famous people who've had um, adverse uh, events happen in their lives and actually it's a springboard to something that's better I suppose going on from that what's the most important thing that you've learned in the NHS and do you want to bring that to the military Um, I think what I learned in the NHS is the importance of leadership and looking after um, uh, those that serve our enterprise and I'm not in any way saying that that's absent in the military or the DMS. I think it, there's, there's, on the contrary, the military do that extremely well. Um, but what I've learned is that um, it's a hugely important area. And I, I served um, in Sir Robert Francis's um, inquiry into mid-staffs. And we received evidence from those people, good people that did bad things, uh, because they were poorly led. So I'm very clear about the importance of leadership and looking after people. Uh, and our listeners may or may not be aware, but military posts tend to cycle over with relatively quickly to uh, allow people to move on to new opportunities. Is that going to be the same in your job? Are you going to have a longer tenure or what's, what's you anticipate? Uh, my contract is for three years, uh, renewable uh, through a mutual agreement by a further two years. I'll leave it to others to judge uh, <laughs> as to uh, as to the uh, the interval uh, um, that um, that I have the privilege of serving. So, we understand you've had a good look around the DMS. Uh, what did you learn? I've been very grateful for the uh, the time and um, uh, generosity of colleagues because I have spent a good deal, quite deliberately, as you might imagine, of my early tenure, essentially to better understand. Um, 
what we do, how it's done, and the heat and burden of delivering um, the services that colleagues deliver, often in very difficult environments. Um, and in shorthand, um, my um, objectives, um, which necessarily um, need to uh, to um, enrol others across DMS, include the following. Uh, firstly, demonstrably, um, that we optimise um, our contribution in terms of deployability of personnel in the firm base and on operations. Um, we do well. We can do even better, I think. That's the jugular um, objective. And in service of that uh, is um, the ambition to make the Defence Medical Services the best place in the MOD to work. Now, I don't quite know what's required in order to do that, uh, whereas those who serve the DMS will have their own lived experience. So we will be um, um, conducting a what I'll describe as a listening exercise to better understand the lived experience, positive and negative, of those who work within DMS uh, in military and civilian, including reservists, uh, capacity to better understand what we as a leadership cadre can do to better serve our colleagues uh, to uh, to breathe oxygen into the ambition of making DMS the best place in the MOD to work. We've just literally uh, this morning had early opportunity looking at the, um, the staff's survey results uh, and their grounds for... Uh, um, uh, for optimism and there's grounds for us to do even better uh, and the areas that we uh, uh, will uh, that, we rec that I recognise we need to do better include um, learning and development for all groups of staff um, and um, diversity and inclusion so there's work to be, uh, work to be done um, there. Uh, other aspects in terms of uh, objectives uh, include um, building and uh, enhancing internal external communications so that staff um, are uh, um, aware of what we're doing, why we're doing it, insofar as that's uh, practical across the world. Uh, and that it's a two-way process <coughs> that we listen to, um, to staff's feedback and, and where we can respond constructively to that. Uh, the other aspect will be um, digital technology and the whole gamut of exciting technological change, including artificial intelligence, um, uh, natural language processing, um, using robotic um, uh, and um, um, autonomous um, uh, devices where that's uh, appropriate, and drawing on uh, J-Hub, which teaches us a huge amount about innovation, but also drawing on the best around the world, uh, including um, Eric Topol's work um, um, that describes how healthcare will be changed over the next 40 years uh, as a result of genomic medicine and the whole gamut of uh, new technology. Uh, and then finally, linked to that is um, us being very clear um, on our five-year strategy, which includes workforce requirements. And we can't recruit our way out of the shortage in many areas. So we have to work out how we uh, support um, those um, staff within the organisation to use their exquisitely scarce skills as effectively as possible. Um, and, um, uh, and that will then be our contribution to the um, uh, defence review exercise which is just about to be launched um, which I think is called the foreign policy and integrated foreign policy and defence review which is a hugely important opportunity for us to be clear how we want to care for those we serve over the next uh, five or ten years And if you could choose one thing to be remembered for after your post is finished what would it be? making, um, with others, the Defence Medical Services the best place in the MOD to work. Mm. 
Peter, when you looked around the DMS, what struck you as the, the key strength of the DMS? Um, I've had the opportunity of, um, of spending some considerable time meeting staff across the wider DMS and the single services. The, the dominant, powerful reflection that um, I am left with is the extraordinary quality of the people that work for and with the DMS. Um, highly uh, skilled, deeply passionate, deeply motivated, and I see part of my and the leadership's cadre to serve them as well as possible to make sure that they can do the very best job they can. One of the recurring themes that came up in our questions was about pensions. Um, the, the, the submitter of this question would like to remain anonymous, but he asked, uh, what's your plan to fix the pension crisis for seniors if the taper isn't scrapped by government, and how do you plan to replace the loss of a large number of our most experienced consultants over the issue? This is a huge worry. Mm. Um, I, I know, uh, uh, including from conversations I've had with um, um, colleagues, including possibly even the person who's asked this um, uh, this, this question, this is uh, this is one of the major challenges that we face, uh, and we can ill afford to lose any individual, including senior colleagues that have a wealth of experience and expertise. And the, the way that, uh, that I and we are endeavouring to, um, to tackle this um, issue is in concert with others. Uh, so there has been um, um, top of the office um, um, discussion, including with CDP and with the Permanent Secretary. Um, and the Permanent Secretary, uh, just before Christmas, um, wrote to the Treasury, um, commending to the Treasury some um, changes to the, um, the tax treatment of, of pensions to ameliorate the, um, the, the financially devastating effect that this uh, taper can, uh, can have and the annual allowance can have. Um, now, it's, uh, it's, it's too early to say, um, but one, uh, one is hopeful that that will translate into action because it's not just defence that's making this submission, it's across the public sector. Um, and um, I'm also including um, the evidence that we've adduced, including um, the, uh, uh, the rate of um, um, colleagues, senior colleagues who are leaving the, uh, the DMS in the submission that, uh, that I and we make to the pay review body, which will uh, be held uh, in a few weeks' time. Uh, I, uh, I would like to emphasise I am very clear about the very significant nature of this issue and, and I and we will do everything within our power to get this resolved in a satisfactory manner because I'm very conscious that the NHS has made a series of moves which make it very tempting for many of our senior colleagues to uh, to step over what is a very low fence in terms of uh, a distance to be travelled um, to work in the NHS and, and, and I do not want us to, to lose um, such expertise either in the present or indeed in the future. Got a question um, here about reservists. We've got Captain Knight has asked, in the future, what will the roles of doctors in the reserves be and will doctors in training have the opportunity to deploy? Um, in terms of the role of doctors in the reserves, uh, a <coughs> number of my friends fulfil that responsibility and they, uh, they make a hugely important uh, uh, contribution as well as get a lot from it um, too. Uh, and um, I would um, see that... Um, the, the present role which reservists um, plays as far as doctors are concerned would, would continue 
Uh, I would also like to see um, us drawing on their experience more to improve how we look after reservists and others. I think we will see over the next five um, years um, uh, us being more flexible in terms of the use of skills of different personnel and different disciplines uh, in order to make sure that um, each of the colleagues is given the opportunity of using the full range of their expertise. Uh, that includes doctors, nurses, allied health professionals, scientists and others. So uh, I would see an increasingly uh, collegiate approach and that characterises the nature of work today, but even more so. Uh, and the use of uh, modern technology, be it diagnostic or, um, or therapeutic, um, or indeed genomic in terms of looking at, um, at tailored prevention as well as tra- tailored um, treatment. So uh, th- and these remarks um, apply clearly to, uh, to doctors across medicine globally. That will also apply to us um, locally. And now moving on, Peter, to speak a little bit about innovation. Um, have you been impressed with the innovation being undertaken across the DMS? I've been um, deeply impressed with that, and um, and the speed in which innovation um, has been generated, and, and um, particularly but not exclusively um, during conflict. Mm. And the NHS has been the beneficiary, as, as you'll know, of, of a whole range of different uh, methods, treatments, techniques, um, which are saving lives. And I used to be the chief executive uh, with uh, in. Um, uh, in Nottingham, which is a major trauma centre, and, and we have used in Nottingham the um, uh, the methods which were f- developed in Afghanistan to save lives and to improve the quality of outcome for, for patients. Uh, I'm also very struck by um, the um, the J-Hub initiative of individuals um, uh, given significant freedom to innovate, uh, and somehow we need to replicate that environment uh, in a way that um, is focused on priorities uh, and has the, the de minimis, the irreducible minimum governance arrangements around um, so that we make um, the very best use of, um, of uh, colleagues' imagination and energy and and the different techniques and indeed products that are available around uh, um, the health and wider um, commercial as well as public um, sectors. So, yes, the answer to your question is I'm very impressed. Uh, I'm also, uh, I've realised that uh, one of the reasons why J-Hub was created is because we haven't always been as, uh, as we haven't created the same propitious environment for innovation and somehow we need to make sure that innovation is regarded as a natural part of everything that we do. Mm, of course, and following on from that, Lieutenant Colonel Booker, who's a GP and pre-hospital care doctor, had, had actually asked, yeah, what priority do you place on telemedicine systems to provide our constantly deployed junior personnel with access to timely and secure communication with senior clinical decision makers in the firm base? I place a huge amount of importance um, on this so that um, uh, we can draw upon uh, uh, centres of excellence and help support those as the... Um, as the questioner um, describes, Dr. Booker describes, um, either the firm base or indeed operations, um, with the uh, the best source of advice and help and support as, as we can, uh, and and we know not least from what we do, but also what other countries um, do, that uh, this can be a very effective method of providing support. And where else do you see areas for innovation or particular technologies that the DMS should be focusing on over the next five to ten years? Well, I, th- I think there are very many, um, and um, as uh, someone once said, the future's here, it's just unevenly distributed. Mm. 
So if we look around the world, we can see a range of different methods of treatment uh, using robotics, um, using artificial intelligence in diagnostic as well as treatment. And so I would see us in a more concentrated way drawing upon uh, demonstrably effective um, diagnostic as well as uh, treatment um, modalities uh, in order to make sure we make the very best use of the scarce skills that um, doctors, nurses and medics and others uh, uh, bring to um, to their, their work. Um, and, the, and for me, Eric Topol's work, um, both the, the publication that uh, he was commissioned by Health Education England last year to produce, but also his podcasts are really informative and his, his publications in that they do provide a very cogent doctor's perspective in how we will change um, the way in which we care for patients and indeed how that's already happening today. You know, the use of uh, iPhones for, um, for scanning. It's absolutely extraordinary, which a few years ago would be unimaginable, but it means that that technology is much more available um, than it has ever been before. Uh, and what's your thoughts on the, the barriers in the defence medical services or in the military in general to innovation, and can those be overcome? Um, I'm sure that they can. I think we need to demonstrate that whatever new technology is superior um, uh, in terms of efficacy as, as well as in terms of supporting um, um, clinicians. Um, and that um, uh, the there are no unintended consequences. You know, that includes particularly to do with the use of data, um, as, as you'll appreciate. These um, remote devices generate a lot of hugely valuable data, clinically and um, and in the wrong hands uh, that can be misused. Um, so I, I, I think there are there are there are proper governance requirements to make sure that what we do is appropriate. I think large complex organisations, um, including but not exclusively the MOD, uh, can um, uh, be a, a uh, can present a lot of entropy, and so it takes a lot of energy to bring about an innovation. And somehow we need to uh, uh, to make sure that um, the necessary checks and balances are proportionate, because otherwise people will give up innovating, and that's the last thing we need at this uh, this time. Thank you so much for your time, Peter. We, we really appreciate it. Thanks very much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Tweet us at millmedpodcast with your feedback. And if you have an idea for an episode that you would like to guest edit, let us know there. Don't forget to log your CPD. Until next time, goodbye.